Alrighty, good afternoon everyone and welcome to the November 8th, 2021 Major Mondays webinar. We're going to be talking about suing public entities in New York and New Jersey. And there I am. Uh, as usual, this is a live question and answer, so uh, feel free to post your questions in the question box. Uh, we'll get to them at the end. Got a lot to cover, so I'm going to go relatively quickly, so feel free to ask questions. All right, so as you know, whenever we uh, do these, I like to have a little bit of subrogation flavor mixed in, you know, it overlaps with comp. So we know we have our subrogation rights under Section 40F and Section 29.2, Section 40 in New Jersey, Section 29 in New York. Generally dealing with the two-year statute of limitations for personal injury cases in New Jersey, three years in New York. Um, now, where this changes is suits against public entities, which can modify the statute of limitations or nullify your cause of action, as we're going to see with Section 40F, entirely. So let's start off with Title 59, the New Jersey Tort Claims Act. So uh, that's where you can find it in the statute, NJSA 59-1-1 and all the sections that follow. Uh, common types of cases, you might imagine, uh, dangerous public property, you know, cracks of the sidewalk, uh, automobile negligence cases, and uh, public employee negligence, um, provided that the public employee is not immune from suit uh, in carrying out their routine tasks. Uh, there are very clear requirements in the statute uh, as to notice the contents of the claim and the statute of limitations. So let's talk about the notice and claim requirements. Uh, so the claimant has 90 days after accrual of the cause of action, which is the date of loss, to provide notice to the public entity alleged to be at fault. Uh, failure to provide such notice is generally grounds for dismissal of the plaintiff's action, taken quite seriously. Uh, minor irregularities are usually tolerated by the court, but uh, substantial noncompliance will warrant dismissal. Uh, and here are the notice requirements for what it has to include. Name and post office address of the claimant, uh, post office address for where notices should be sent. So if you're represented by an attorney, that needs to be in there. Uh, the date, place, and description of the accident, description of damages or injury, uh, names of the public entities or employees involved, if known, uh, and the amount claimed as of the date of presentation of the claim and the basis for your computation of that. So, continuing with the notice and claim requirements, uh, here are some issues that are found to be uh, non-compliance in terms of the notice of claim. Uh, failure to provide names of the witnesses, specific items of damage claimed not being provided, um, income and wage loss and extent of injury, not disclosing that stuff, uh, and refusal to provide authorizations to obtain medical records. Uh, the public agency can uh, adopt specific forms specifying information uh, to be contained in the notice of claim, so they can require you uh, to uh, supply medical reports, expert disclosure, documentary evidence of wage loss, anticipated future medical expenses, etc. cetera. Uh, they can also require the claimant to submit to a physical or mental exam, uh, and they may require uh, the claimant to submit all appropriate records for inspection right out of the gate, hospital records, tax returns, medical reports, employment records, et cetera. So sometimes the notice of claim can actually be set uh, by regulation or statute or code to be a little more stringent than uh, what you would otherwise think. So continuing with our requirements here, claim must be filed uh, by certified mail or personal service with either the attorney general or uh, the department or agency involved. Uh, for a local public entity, you're thinking like your school boards or things of that nature, uh, it must be filed with that entity directly. 
the attorney general is empowered to uh, issue rules and regulations as to notice requirements for claims against the state of New Jersey. Uh, even if the claim is not technically properly presented, a claim will be deemed presented if it is actually received by the agency within the time limitation. Uh, the claimant can file suit six months from the date the notice of claim is received, uh, and the claim is barred if no notice is given within 90 days or two years have elapsed from the date of loss, uh, or the claimant has entered into a settlement agreement with respect to the claim. So the injured party can um, obtain permission from the court to file a late notice of claim within a year after accrual only by demonstrating extraordinary circumstances uh, and a lack of substantial prejudice to the public entity. Uh, the doctrine of substantial compliance, where normally you can include most of what's needed and kind of get away with it, uh, doesn't relieve the burden of filing written notice of claim. Uh, and even though the court can permit late notice of claim, um, in no event must it be filed later than two years after accrual. Um, just a little recent flavor. Uh, due to the omnibus order from the New Jersey Supreme Court, it has been ruled that a claimant suffering from COVID-19 meets the standards for extraordinary circumstances such that a court might permit them to file a late notice of claim. All right, and now we get to the stuff everyone's been hanging on for, Title 59 and Section 40. So unfortunately, the law is pretty unequivocal on this. Uh, the carrier does not have Section 40 rights on Title 59 claims. This goes for subrogation, this goes for reimbursement, et cetera. Uh, where does this come from? So you see uh, subsection uh, 9-2E, if the claimant recovers under a policy of insurance, such benefits are deducted from the award against the public entity. Uh, and it's even in the uh, statute, no insurer or other person shall be entitled to bring an action under a subrogation provision in an insurance contract against a public entity or public employee. Um, big case on this issue is uh, Travelers Insurance Co. versus Colella from back in 1979. Uh, basically said no reimbursement from the, from the petitioner's third party recovery against a public entity. And I'll explain the rationale momentarily as we talk about these cases. Um, so then we have this case, Kramer versus Sony Corp of America. Um, the public entity uh, is permitted an offset of workers' compensation benefits in terms of the damages they pay. And so to permit Section 40 rights against them basically uh, pushes the loss on back onto them, which is impermissible. Uh, and then we have this Wunschel versus City of Jersey City case. Um, this says if there are multiple tortfeasors, the carrier uh, can maintain Section 40 rights against non-public defendants paying settlements or judgments. So if you have uh, complex litigation with most, multiple defendants on one side, uh, this doesn't mean all your Section 40 rights are dead. You maintain them as to the defendants that are not public entities. Um, Feely versus Port Authority. Uh, yes, we do have Section 40F rights against the Port Authority. Uh, why? Well, you, you can look to this Wood case for that answer. Port Authority is not a public entity under Title 59. It is a shared entity between New York and New Jersey. It's a creature of statute. Uh, and this points to lien rights as well, not just subrogation under Section 40F. So, you know, you have an accident uh, involving vehicles at Newark Liberty International Airport. Uh, this might not be barred by Title 59. All right, New York's general municipal law. So this also requires a notice of claim within 90 days, uh, pretty similar to what we had in New Jersey. Uh, the specific requirements are in subsection two. Uh, needs to be in writing, needs to be sworn to. You need the name and address of the claimant or attorney. Uh, the nature of the claim, well, I should say claimant and attorney. 
the time, place, and manner of the claim arising, items of damage or injuries. Uh, it must be served personally or via registered or certified mail, uh, unless electronic service is permitted. Uh, City of New York does allow that. Service by mail is complete upon mailing, and that's important because the same is not gonna go for the Court of Claims, which we'll see in a little bit. Um, the service is still valid under a couple different circumstances, even if it's um, not technically compliant. For instance, if a 50H hearing is demanded or if the notice is actually received and the public entity fails to return the notice specifying the defect in service within 30 days after receipt, um, it, the notice might be still deemed valid. And the claimant has 10 days after receipt of this notice from the public entity that their uh, notice was defective. They have 10 days from that date um, to submit a new compliant notice. All right, the notice of claim, continuing with our requirements here. So as to the city of New York, the comptroller's office has an online notice of claim form. Um, just to be very clear about this, it does sort of streamline the process in as much as it tells you the fields you need to complete. But just note that these notice of claim requirements are strictly construed uh, and you should allege every cause of action and the basis for each with particularity. Just because they tell you what fields to complete doesn't mean you can get away with a single sentence explanation of what your claim is. Um, you could potentially be stopped from raising causes of action uh, which are not alleged in the notice of claim. You can apply to the court for leave uh, to serve a late notice within the applicable statute of limitations. Court's gonna look to such things as uh, the public entity's actual knowledge, all other relevant facts and circumstances, justifiable reliance or excusable error, uh, failure of electronic means, things of that nature, and whether this application should be granted. It cannot be denied just on the grounds that it was made after the action was already filed. So if you find yourself filing just to preserve the statute of limitations and then looking for leave to file a late notice of claim, it can't be denied just because you've already filed your case. All right, let's get into the sufficiency of the notice. You have to include information sufficient to provide the municipality with an opportunity to investigate. Uh, these deficiencies can be cured with testimony at a notice hearing. This is the 50H hearing I just referenced. So if the municipal entity is able to gather the information necessary to investigate at the 50H, uh, these deficiencies can be cured. The court is gonna look to prejudice to the municipality in deciding uh, the sufficiency of the notice. And if the 50H hearing allows, as we just discussed, the municipality to timely investigate, this can kind of cure some of the defects in your notice of claim. What is the 50H hearing? So basically this is just a public entity's free crack at a, a pre-suit deposition. Um, the municipal entity has a right to demand examination deposition of the claimant when a notice of claim is filed. Demand has to be made in writing uh, and must be either personally served or via certified or registered mail unless served upon an attorney. Uh, demand must be made within 90 days of filing of the notice of claim or 120 days if the notice of claim was served through the secre Secretary of State. Uh, once the demand is served, suit cannot be commenced unless the claimant has complied with the demand, but uh, the claimant can commence suit if the examination is not conducted within 90 days of service of the demand. The prior written notice requirement, figured I'd just mention this because it's been the death of many a case. Uh, cracks and potholes or other dangerous conditions on public ways may, depending on the statute or code or ordinance or regulation controlling it, may require prior written notice in order to sue. The city of New York is one of these jurisdictions that does require it. There needs to be um, written notice of the defective condition in advance. 
information can be requested via FOIA or FOIL request, Freedom of Information Act, from the Department of Transportation. In other words, you can ask them to produce records of whether anyone had previously reported this pothole. Uh, and there's a convenient little service called the Big Apple Pothole Corporation, which periodically prepares maps of uh, you know, the dangerous conditions, the potholes, the cracks. Uh, and these have been sufficient in the past to uh, establish uh, prior written notice to the city. All right, claims against the state of New York, governed by the Court of Claims Act. Uh, so they're brought in the Court of Claims, governed by the Court of Claims Act. Section 10, uh, subsection three, this is for personal injury uh, claims. They must be filed and served upon the attorney general with, uh, within 90 days of accrual. So we're dealing with that same 90 day timeline, um, unless a notice of intention is served within 90 days, in which case the claim must be filed and served upon the attorney general within two years of accrual. So with the court of claims, we sort of have an either or. You can file your uh, claim with the court of claims in the first 90 days, or you can serve something similar to the notice of claim, the notice of intention. Note that in either case, it actually has to be received by the attorney general within 90 days. So this isn't complete upon mailing. They need to receive it. So leave yourself some leeway, some time there. Uh, per section 11, it has to be served either personally or via certified mail, return receipt requested. And section 11 also requires service uh, on individual defendants, uh, on the individual defendants of the New York State Thruway Authority City University of New York or New York State Power Authority. So if you're suing any of those entities, you can't get away with just serving the attorney general. You have to serve that entity as well. That's specifically in the statute. All right, filing requirements for suing the state of New York. The claim or notice of intention uh, must have the time, place, and nature of the incident, items of damages, uh, and must be verified in the same manner as a complaint under the CPLR. Uh, so the claimant needs to verify their actual claim. Um, there is no requirement for the total sum claimed in personal injury cases, and that's similar to what's in the CPLR. Um, a party can make an application to proceed with a defective notice. The application has to contain the same facts required for the claim or notice of intention, uh, and the court's going to look to excusable delay, knowledge of the essential facts um, by the state of New York, the opportunity to investigate merits of the claim, uh, whether there's substantial prejudice uh, and availability of other remedies to the claimant. Um, just a little side note here, because I have seen this come up a couple times. Beware of Education Law, uh, Section 6224. I know this is kind of esoteric, but I, it bears mentioning. Uh, in suits against the City University of New York, they have to receive a demand with a basis for the claim against them, uh, and they have to have 30 days to resolve that issue amicably. Note that this actually has to be done within the 90-day period. So you don't get an extra 30 days to do this. Prior to filing the claim against the City University of New York, uh, they must have received that demand, had 30 days to respond, and neglected or refused to do so. So practically, if you're going to be suing the City University of New York, you should probably look to get out that 30-day um, notice to them within the first 45 days or so to leave yourself leeway to file if they don't respond. All right, more filing requirements uh, for the state of New York. So the claim or notice of intention has to have the post address, post office address of each claimant and contact info for the attorneys. Uh, when you file a notice of intention, the claim must state the date of service upon the attorney general. So that's something you're going to allege in your actual claim is, hey, I timely filed a notice of intention. Here's the date it was served. 
Um, best practices would dictate supplying the proof of uh, service as an exhibit to your claim. Uh, malpractice actions in the Court of Claims do require a certificate of merit under the CPLR, just like in uh, Supreme Court. All right, subrogation, uh, the thing everyone's been waiting for against municipalities or the state of New York. So just note, uh, the time limitations under Section 29, this is the year after the date of loss or six months after the awarding or taking of compensation, uh, those do not extend your time limitations for public entity suits. So you absolutely should file as the carrier a notice of claim to preserve your subrogation opportunities against a municipality. Uh, I put the citation there for you in case you're interested on the case that it says that. Uh, someone has to timely file, the carrier or the claimant. Um, this is from the uh, Aetna case uh, cited there. Uh, the same goes for an action in the court of claims. Someone's got a timely file. Um, the carrier can rely on the claimant's timely notice of claim, which if you think about it only makes sense because we're subrogated to their rights, but the claimant cannot rely on our timely notice of claim if we file within the first 90 days and they don't uh, because subrogation is a one-way street. They can't step into our shoes, but we can do vice versa. So, All right, loss transfer considerations. I know this has been a very dense bit of subject matter, so uh, I appreciate you sticking with it. So. Um, the city of New York is self-insured for loss transfer uh, and can be a respondent to loss transfer claims. Uh, there's no notice of claim or notice of intention requirement. Uh, that's because uh, the New York Court of Appeals has decided that uh, the interests of the no-fault law supersede those of you know, the various statutes of limitations. Um, so there's a three-year loss transfer statute of limitations that governs. Um, the state of New York is a self-insured entity. What's kind of interesting is this comes from a case where the state insurance fund sues the state of New York, um, but there, or actually tries to take them to arbitration rather. But the state of New York is a self-insured entity and is subject to the mandatory arbitra arbitration procedures of the no-fault law, uh, particularly section 5105, which is our loss transfer statute. Uh, a loss transfer demand against the city of New York uh, can be served on the comptroller's office, dot, dot, dot. But um, beware of a loss transfer claim against any of these public benefit corporations in New York. You know, if it's a subdivision such as uh, the Department of Transportation, go ahead and serve the comptroller. If it's the MYC MTA or NYCTA, uh, they are a separately self-insured and are distinct legal entities that have to be served with your intercompany reimbursement notification. Uh, and note that Section 5105A prohibits insurers of bus occupants from seeking loss transfer against the insurer of the bus. So with that, let's get to see if we have any questions here. All right, uh, I'm gonna pop it out just to be safe. No, I don't see that we have any questions. All right. Well, as always, thank you so much for joining us. I uh, hope to see you next month. And uh, let me click through the rest of the uh, slides here. Thank you, everyone.